You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Mark Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. Chapter 17. Harl's Confession. Larry was awakened by a hand upon his shoulder. He struggled to consciousness and heard his name being called. Larry! Wake up, Larry! Tina was bending over him, and it was late afternoon. The day for which he had been waiting had come and gone. The sun was dropping low in the west behind the shining river. The dam showed frowning, with the powerhouse clinging to its side like an eagle's eyrie. Tina sat on Larry's couch and explained what she had done. Tew and she had gone to the nearby laboratory building. The robots were sullen, but still obedient, and had admitted them. The other time-travelling cage was there, lying quiescent in its place, but it was unoccupied. None of the robots would admit having seen Migul, nor the arrival of the cage, nor the strangers from the past. Then Chu and Tina had started down into the subterranean caverns, but it was obviously very dangerous. The robots at work down there were hostile to their princess, so Chu had gone on alone. "'He says he can control the robots,' Tina explained, "'and Larry, it seems that he can.' He went on, and I came back. Where is he now? Why didn't you wake me up? You needed the sleep, she said smilingly, and there was nothing you could do. Chu has not yet come. He must have gone a long distance, must surely have learned where Megul is hiding. He should be back any time. Tina had seen the government council. The city was proceeding normally. There was no difficulty with robots anywhere save here in New York and the council felt that the affair would come to nothing. "'The council told me,' Tina said indignantly, "'that much of the menace was the exaggeration of my own fancy, "'and that Chu has the robots well controlled. "'They place much trust in Chu. "'I wish I could.' "'You told them about me?' "'Yes, of course, and about George Rankin and Mary Atwood, "'and the loss of Hull. "'He is missing, not proven murdered.' as they very well pointed out to me. They have named a time tomorrow to give you audience, and told me to keep you out of sight in the meantime. They blame this time-travelling for the robot's insurgent ideas. Strangers excite the thinking mechanisms. "'You think my friends will be rescued?' demanded Larry. She regarded him soberly. "'I hope so. Oh, I do. I fear for them as much as you do, Larry. I know you think I take it lightly, but... "'Not that,' Larry protested. "'Only I have not known what to do. "'The officials refuse any open aggression against the robots "'because it would precipitate exactly what we fear, "'which is nearly a fact. "'It would. "'But there is one thing I have to do. "'I have been expecting Tew to return every moment, "'and this I do not want him to know about. "'There's a mystery concerning Hull, "'and no one else knows of it but myself. "'I want you with me, Larry. "'I do not want to go alone.' I, for the first time in my life, Larry, I think I'm afraid. She huddled against him, and he put his arm about her, and Larry's true situation came to him then. He was alone in this strange time world, with only this girl for a companion. She was but a frightened, almost helpless girl, for all she bore the title of traditional princess, and she was surrounded by inefficient, fatuous officials, among them Chew who was a scoundrel undoubtedly. 
Larry suddenly recalled Tew's look when, in the garden, the domestic robots had told the story of Harl's murder, and like a light breaking on him, he was now wholly aware of Tew's duplicity. He was convinced he would have to act for himself, with only this girl Tina to help him. Mystery, he said. What mystery is there about Harl? She told him now that Harl had once, a year ago, taken her aside and made her promise that if anything happened to him, in the event of his death or disappearance, she would go to his private workroom, where, in a secret place which he described, she would find a confession. A confession of his? Larry demanded. Yes, he said so, and he would say no more than that. It is something of which he was ashamed or guilty, which he wanted me to know. He loved me, Larry. I realized it, though he never said so. And I'm going now to his room, to see what it was he wanted me to know. I would have gone alone earlier, but I got suddenly frightened. I want you with me. They were unarmed. Larry cursed the fact. But Tina had no way of getting a weapon without causing official comment. Larry started for the window where the city stretched, more active now, under the red and gold glow of a setting sun. Lights were winking on, and the dusk of twilight was at hand. "'Come now,' said Tina, "'before Chu returns. "'Where is Hal's room?' "'Down under the palace in the sub-cellar. "'The corridors are deserted at this hour, and no one will see us.' They left Larry's room, and traversed a dim corridor on whose padded floor their footsteps were soundless. Through distant arcades voices sounded. There was music in several of the rooms. It struck Larry that this was a place of diversion for humans with no work to do. Tina avoided the occupied rooms. Domestic robots were occasionally distantly visible, but Tina and Larry encountered none. They descended a spiral stairway, and passed down a corridor from the main building to a cross-wing. Through a window Larry saw that they were at the ground level. The garden was outside. There was a glimpse of the time-cage standing there. Another stairway, then another, they descended beneath the ground. The corridor down here seemed more like a tunnel. There was a cave-like open space, with several tunnels leading from it in different directions. This once had been part of the sub-cellar of the gigantic New York City. These tunnels, ramifying into underground chambers, most of which had now fallen into disuse. But few had been preserved throughout the centuries, and they now were the caverns of the robots. Tina indicated a tunnel extending eastward, a passage leading to a room beneath the robot laboratory. Tew and Tina had used it that morning. Gazing down its blue-lit length, Larry saw, fifty feet or so away, that there was a metal grid barrier which must be part of the electrical fortifications of the palace. A human guard was sitting there at a tiny gateway, a hoodlight above him, illumining his black and white garbed figure. Tina called softly. "'All well, Allant. She was not passed back.' "'No, Princess,' he answered, standing erect. The voices echoed through the confined space with a muffled blur. "'Let no one pass but humans, Allant.' "'That is my order,' he said. He had not noticed Larry, whom Tina had pushed into a shadow against the wall. The princess waved at the guard and turned away, whispering to Larry, "'Come!' There were rooms opening off this corridor. 
decrepit dungeons most of them seemed to larry he had tried to keep his sense of direction and figured they were now under the palace garden tina stopped abruptly there were no lights here only the glow from one at a distance to larry it was an eerie business what is it he whispered wait i thought i heard something in the dead heavy silence larry found that there was much to hear voices very dim from the palace overhead infinitely faint music the clammy sodden drip of moisture from the tunnel roof and permeating everything the faint hum of machinery tina touched him in the gloom it's nothing i guess though i thought i heard a man's voice overhead no down here there was a dark arched door near at hand tina entered it and fumbled for a switch and in the soft light that came larry saw an unoccupied apartment very similar to the one he had had upstairs save that this was much smaller Hull's room said tina she prowled along the wall where audible book cylinders stood in racks searching for a title presently she found a hidden switch pressed it and a small section of the case swung out revealing a concealed compartment larry saw her fingers trembling as she drew out a small brass cylinder this must be it larry she said they took it to a table which held a shaded light within the cylinder was a scroll of writing tina unrolled it and held it under the light while larry stood breathless watching her is it what you wanted larry murmured yes poor hull she read aloud to larry the gist of it in the few closing paragraphs and so i want to confess to you that i have been taking credit for that which is not mine i wish i had the courage to tell you personally some day i think i shall i did not help to invent our time-travelling cages i was in the palace garden one night some years ago when the cage appeared Tew is a man from a future time world just what date ahead of now i do not know for he has never been willing to tell me he captured me i promised him i would say nothing but help him pretend that we had invented the cage he had brought with him from the future Tew told me he invented them it was later that he brought the other cage here i was an obscure young man here a few years ago i loved you even then tina i think you have guessed that i yielded to temptation and took the credit with Tew. i do love you though i think i shall never have the courage to tell you so hull tina rolled up the paper poor hull so all the praise we gave him for his invention was undeserved but larry's thoughts were on Tew. so the fellow was not of this era at all he had come from a time still further in the future a step sounded in the doorway behind them they swung around to find Tew standing there with his thick misshapen figure huddled in the black cloak Tew. yes princess no less than Tew. alan told me as i came through that you were down here i saw your light here in hal's room and came did you find Miguel and his captives 
The girl from 1777 and the man of 1935? No, princess. Migol has fled with them, was the cripple's answer. He advanced into the room and pushed back his black hood. The blue light shone on his massive-jawed face with a lurid sheen. Larry stood back and watched him. It was the first time that he had had the opportunity of observing Tew closely. The cripple was smiling sardonically. "'I have no fear of further prisoners,' he added in his suave, silky fashion. "'That crazy mechanism would not dare harm them. But it has fled with them into some far-distant recess of the caverns. I could not find them.' "'Did you try?' Larry demanded abruptly. Tew swung on him. "'Yes, young sir, I tried.' It seemed that Chew's black eyes narrowed. His heavy jaw clicked as he snapped it shut. The smile on his face faded, but his voice remained imperturbable as he added, "'You are aggressive, young Larry, but to no purpose. Princess, I like not the attitude of the robots. Beyond question, some of them must have seen me go, but they would not tell me so. I still think I can control them, though.' I hope so. Larry could think of nothing to say. It seemed to him childish that he should stand listening to a scoundrel tricking this girl Tina. A dozen wild schemes of what he might do to try and rescue Mary Atwood and me revolved in his mind, but they all seemed wholly impractical. The robots are working badly, Chi went on. In the North District, one of the great foundries, where they are casting the plates for the new inter-allied airliner, has ceased operations. The robot workmen were sullen, inefficient, neglectful. The inert machinery was ill-cared for, and it went out of order. I was there, Princess, for an hour or more today. They have started up again now. It was fundamentally no more than a burn-bearing which a robot failed to oil properly. "'Is that what you call searching for me, gull?' Larry burst out. "'Tina, see here. Isn't there something we can do?' Larry found himself ignoring Tew. "'I'm not going to stand around. Can't we send a squad of police after me, gull? Go with them? Actually make an effort to find them? This man, Tew, certainly has not tried.' "'Have I not?' Tew's cloak parted as he swung on Larry. His bent legs were twitching with his anger. His voice was a harsh rasp. "'I like not your insolence. I am doing all that can be done.' Larry held his ground as Chew fronted him. He had a wild thought that Chew had a weapon under his cloak. "'Perhaps you are,' said Larry. "'But it seems to me—' Chew turned away. His gaze went to the cylinder which Tina was still clutching. His sardonic smile returned. So Harl made a confession, Princess? That, she said, is none. Of my affair? Oh, but it is. I was here in the archway, and I heard you read it. A very nice young man was Harl. I hope McGull has not murdered him. You come from future time, Tina began. Yes, Princess. I must admit it now. I invented the cages. Larry murmured to himself, "'You stole them, probably.' "'But my government and I had a quarrel, so I decided to leave my own time-world and come back to yours, permanently. I hope you will keep the secret. I have been here so long, 
Princess, I am really one of you now. At heart, certainly. From where did you come? she demanded. He bowed slightly. I think that may remain my own affair, Tina. It is through no fault of mine I am outlawed. I shall never return. He added earnestly. Do not you think we waste time? I am agreed with young Larry that something drastic must be done about Miguel. Have you seen the council about it today? Yes. They want you to come to them at once. I shall. But the council easily may decide upon something too rash. He lowered his voice, and on his face Larry saw a strange, unfathomable look. Princess, at any moment there may be a robot uprising. Is the powerhouse well guarded by humans? Yes, she said. No robots in or about it? Tina, I do not want to frighten you, but I think our first effort should be for defense. The Council acts slowly and stubbornly. What I advise them to do may be done, and may not. I was thinking, if we could get to the powerhouse, do you realize, Tina, that if the robots should suddenly break into rebellion, they would attack first of all the powerhouse? It was my idea. Tew suddenly broke off, and all stood listening. There was a commotion overhead in the palace. They heard the thud of running footsteps, human voices raised to shouts, and, outside the palace, other voices. A ventilating shaft nearby brought them down plainly. There were the guttural, hollow voices of shouting robots, the clank of their metal bodies, the ring of steel, as though with sword-blades they were thumping their metal thighs. A robot mob was gathered close outside the palace walls. The revolt of the robots had come! End of chapter 17